Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Shalila, and this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast that is now on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're super legit. Woo! So, uh, yeah, we are going to talk about uh, some uh, differing uh, quality movies today on Are You Still Watching? That's like the most uh, neutral way I can put it. It's a real grab bag of what's not. Yeah. So basically today we are going to talk about kind of everything that would have come out since January 1st to now, um, not including like any of the Oscar re-releases when they put them back in theater and stuff like that, um, and also anything that got like an extended run. Like I think they brought Knives Out back and uh, Frozen 2 or something like that. They brought it back for like a sing-along. So we're not covering any of that. This is all just going to be any new slash like original let's say movie to 2020 um and it's kind of gonna be actually like what you said like a grab bag episode we have a whole bunch of movies to cover uh and just right off the top we should say that we have not seen the majority of these movies nope uh i have seen even less than Shula has to my knowledge um but yeah we have not seen quite a few of these which could be a reflection on their perceived quality. Uh, but who are we to say. say? But who are we to say? Uh, so, we're just going to cover them, and we're going to give you kind of a quick, uh, of the ones we saw, obviously give you a quick little sort of review, should you see it, things like that, have a little discussion about it. But for the rest, uh, we're going to take a page out of Twitter, which Leela and I are both heavily, uh, heavy users of. Maybe that's the best, uh, most generous way you can put yeah. it. Yeah, and we're going to have uh, takes on movies that we haven't seen, and we're just going to pass judgment on these things that we have no actual evidence uh, for their quality. It fuels our very um, being to do this stuff. Yeah. I Can mean, I just say I was listening to some of what do? you said there, because your cat is so cute. Yeah, he. Uh, my cat's name is Otto. Uh, for listeners who don't know my full cat's name. I don't even know if Shalila knows my full I cat's name. I don't know your full cat's uh, name. Your cat's full name? There's a full yes, name. Yes, my cat's name is Otto Augustus Hieronymus Rex. Uh, and his Instagram, in case any of you are just dying to see pictures of a cute little Bengal kitten, um, is But You Can Call Me Otto. Uh, exactly how it sounds. O-T-T-O. Uh, and he is adorable. Um, I'm actually very proud of that name. If you were wondering what it was, I would just love to explain it because I think it's the funniest thing in the world. It's only funny for me, but I do think it's funny. I mean, I'm dying to know. Okay, great. So there's one of his four names. Otto is what my wonderful partner named him, and it's just a regular name. One of them is a reference to a video game, and one of them is a funny Latin joke. I think. So, uh, his name when we got him from uh, the guy who was giving them away, his name was Otto, or his name was Rex. So that was his original name. And my partner wanted to name him Otto. Now, I think it's funny to call him Augustus, and that's why I put it in there, because uh, this is the nerdiest Latin class thing in the world, because the Romans were so opposed to the idea of, like, monarchical, um, like, rulers, like, like having a word for it, that 
and rex meaning ruler uh, or king in Latin, that they named their people, like every ruler took the name Augustus. Like that's where that came from uh, because that is literally the op, like it was essentially saying that's the opposite of the word rex. So that is just my funny little Latin joke. And then that wasn't enough for me because I'm a greedy cat owner. So I decided to also put in Hieronymus because that is a reference to a video game where there's a character whose name is Hieronymus Lex. Um, and I just think it's the funniest thing in the world. And none of this has anything to do with our movies, but you will hear my cat meowing because he loves to sit outside the door and meow for attention. He's a loud cat. Um, I say this with yes, love. Yes, he's a love bug and he's very loud. But yes, if you want to see beautiful pictures of a very adorable kitten with a big old name, uh, you can go to But Can You Call Me Otto on Instagram. And that's, that's my plug. Shameless plug. I love it. That's why we do this. Yeah. That's why we do it. So we can talk about a cat six minutes into a podcast about movies. Oh, yeah. So do you want to tell us the movies that are on our list? Okay, so the order that I have written down, and this order is in no way relevant other than it's just what I wrote. The movies that we're going to talk about today, in any way, shape, or form, even if it is just a few words, are Sonic, I believe the full title might be Sonic the Hedgehog? Yep. The movie? No, not the movie. No? That's it. That's just it. Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah. Got it. This isn't a high school uh, musical, the musical, the series <laughs> situation. God, that's a good show. Uh, Doolittle, uh, Bad Boys for Life, Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man. God, it's I, a I, joker. I unjokered it. Uh, yeah, I said I, we'd I never mention that movie ever again. It's fine. Dang it. Um, the Photograph, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Call of the Wild, or The Call of the Wild. You know, I really don't know the articles <laughs> of movies. Emma. Gretel and Hansel, The Gentleman, Downhill, Bloomhouse's Fantasy Island, I think is technically the title, and Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Uh, so those are all the movies we're going to talk about today, but I'm going to throw it to you. Where would you like to start us off? Should we just start this off with Sonic? I have stuff to say about Sonic. Go for it. I haven't seen it yet, so you got to let us know. So, Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm going to say this. I really, really enjoyed this movie. It's meant to be just a fun ride. You're just meant to watch it, and things happen, and you go with it, and you lean forward when you're meant to, and you scream when you're meant to, and it's a kid's movie. It delivers on many levels. Now, I know that sounds like a glowing review for a movie that many have mocked, but it's not a bad movie. Um, I've heard that you should, I've, I've heard it said that you should go for this movie if you are a fan of Sonic. If you've played the games before, know the characters, have a connection. Now, I do not. I did not know anything about Sonic. I just knew that it was a fast hedgehog that runs fast. That's, that's everything I knew. I do not, I cannot name a single other character. Or I didn't even know that the rings existed or what they did. And I still had a really good time. I don't think that that's true. I think that you can go see this movie in any stage of connection to this hedgehog and they just made a really fun road trip movie. Um, so the reason that this is good is because everybody in this movie is super committed to it. Everyone just put in their best shot and it really comes off. 
right at the top of that list is Jim Carrey. I, I'm just really happy he did this movie. It is basically just a return to his Ace Ventura days. He plays this over-the-top, crazy, just absolutely kind of batshit character um, called Dr. Robotnik, kind of just obsessed with all these gadgets, just, just says really weird off-the-cuff stuff, um, has these drones that look like eggs um, that yield a lot of weird lines. And Ben Schwartz voices Sonic. He is really, really good, too. I, I'm not sure how you could mess that up, but he's good. Um, James Marsden plays the sort of companion to Sonic in this movie. He, he plays a cop in, in, in small-town America. He has this super hot wife. Um, and he does a great job, considering he's obviously acted this entire movie just standing alone, having to pretend there's a blue hedgehog next to him. He kills it. Good job. Um, and it's kind of a, like a wholesome love letter to small town America. It's this guy, this cop who, who, who's considering moving to San Francisco and he doesn't know whether he should do it. And his, his wife's family is also involved in, in whether or not they should go. And Sonic essentially helps him through a trip to San Francisco and a lot of other capers discover where his heart truly lies, which is really sweet. And you really do feel for Sonic. He is this, this hedgehog with absolutely no impulse control in this movie talks constantly never shuts up but you really do feel for him like he he's got he's got emotions and he really makes you sympathize with him um he he lives in the town and he has no friends and he's been basically booted to earth because people are coming for him on his home planet and it's really cute it's it's you you go along with it it's not even weird it's not like campy or or, or silly you just kind of get pulled in and you're like yeah you know I, I get it i feel bad for him now 90 percent of this movie is just really bizarre dialogue and i'm gonna give you some snippets of things that are said and or happen in this movie and i think that that says it all really so Dr. Robotnik releases a bunch of drones and goes, look what came out of my egg sack. And it's bizarre. Um, there's a point where James Marsden plans a road trip from the Pacific Northwest somewhere out there to San Francisco on a paper map. He just draws it, but it's, it's not following actual highways. He's just drawing a line through the middle of America. I don't know why he's doing that. Um, what year is it? Just with a Sharpie. There's 20% of the dialogue in this movie is just something happens and someone goes, what the? And that's it. That's every line. There's just insane dialogue. There's a line where Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik goes, how can you threaten someone who never existed? And there's a point where these drones are released and Sonic goes, can you believe Amazon's going to deliver packages with these things? There's a part where Sonic or someone says, as I crashed into the cold, dark waters of the Pacific. Oh yeah, because he ran... He ran west from the Pacific Northwest and <laughs> ran into the ocean. There's a part where Jim Carrey goes, Thank you, Officer Brain Fart. There's an entire bar fight scene where a bunch of people come up to, to Sonic, who, by the way, tries to pass off as a kid, like a young child. And, and they go, We don't like your kind around here. Hipsters. And everyone in the theater laughed. It was a, it was a moment. Jim Carrey says, Eeny, meeny, miny, mayhem. And then at a different time, he says, ever wonder where all your tax dollars are going? And then the camera slowly zooms into his face. The whole thing is like a meme video. It's insane. And it takes itself so seriously that you have no choice but to join in. It is amazing. 
Um, there are obviously massive plot holes, right? At the end of the movie, he's basically trying to retrieve his rings that are at the top of a high rise and they have to go in and lie and figure out how to get there in the elevators. And it just, I cannot understand why he can't just run up the side of the building. Why do they have to get in from the inside? This guy is a really fast hedgehog. Surely he can get to the top of a building. But they never explain that. It is, it's bizarre, um, but it's really fun. So what I'm going to say is, I actually super recommend this movie. I don't think you can have a bad time. I think that it's a great mood booster. I think you can go with anybody. I think it works for kids. It works for adults. I just think it's a fun movie. It's obviously not perfect. And I, again, I'm not a fan of Sonic. So a lot of people have said that it's kind of a disappointment that a Sonic movie wasn't more fun. But I thought it was super fun. So I don't know. It was good enough for me. Um, it has a really great theme song that I kind of want to plug. It's called Speed Me Up, and it's by a bunch of a bunch of people. It's Wiz Khalifa, Ty Dollar Sign, um, Lil Yachty, a bunch of fun people. And it's like an absolute bop. Like, it's just them rapping about Sonic and Tails. And there's a line that says, do the dash like Tay-K, which is hilarious. Um, so yeah, everything about this movie is surprisingly wholesome. The visual effects really do hold up considering all of the drama over the redesign. You would not know that it was redesigned. It's just consistent and gorgeous and Sonic looks fun as hell. Um, everything is great about this and mostly it's Jim Carrey. So yeah, watch this movie. It's great. Okay, I have a question. Yes. Why, having not seen it, why do you think Jim Carrey decided to do this movie? Does he have young kids? I don't know how old his kids are, if he has them. With who I assume would have been Jenny McCarthy, is who he was married to. Do you think he did this for his maybe possibly young age children? Or do you think Jim Carrey is just legitimately like a big Sonic the Hedgehog fan? I think it's none of those things. I just think he wanted to play another campy character, and this was a perfect opportunity. I think that's how they pitched it to him. They were like, listen, we want you to really run with this. Take it and give it your all. And he was like, that's what I do best. Because it's been a while, right? I, I, The only thing I can think of right now is he was on that, um, he's on that show on Hulu or... Kidding? ABC. I don't know which channel. Yeah, it's called Maybe. Kidding, right? It's the one where he plays Mr. Rogers. Yeah, and Ariana Grande's in it. Yes. Wait, Ariana Grande's in it? She's in one episode. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't remember that. And that was a good show. Like, I really liked it. Yeah. But that was much more serious fare. Yeah. And it kind of, like, it sometimes felt like he was sort of doing self-reflection on the kind of roles that he used to play. So I'm just surprised that after that, the next move is go do the thing that he would have done anyway. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really curious to know, like, what led to this? Unless it's just as simple as Jim Carrey needed a job. I don't even know, but I'm glad he did it. All right. Well, uh, that is a big vote of comments for Sonic, which I still have yet to see, but that is definitely uh, my, my next one up, which is pretty incredible considering. Something that is really fun about this movie is, so we've seen the X-Men movie with the Quicksilver scene where he, you know, they, they pause an action scene and then he runs around and rearranges a bunch of items and then everything falls apart, right? Yeah, I think that soundtrack. that really uh, that really started a bunch of stuff. Like, yeah. there's been all kinds of scenes that have tried to copy it since then. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, people should know that it was done best then, and it's probably never gonna. They're not gonna recapture that magic. 
Um, but Sonic yeah. gave it a shot three times in this movie anyway. It's the exact same scene. It's a weird fight scene where he goes around and pretty much does the exact same thing to a weird soundtrack. And then he, he it's exactly what you think. And it's kind of fun, though. Um, but it's not original. And, I, and they, they know that. So I don't know why it's in there. Hmm. Also, how has James Marsden been in two of these things? He was in, um, uh, uh, oh God, he was the guy in Hop. That, uh, what was that, DreamWorks? He's been in two I'm the guy with the CGI partner movies. Yes. Uh, I don't I don't know why. Oh James Marsden. Yeah. What's he up to? Well, okay. Well, there's Sonic. Um, I'm actually going to put you in charge of being the shot caller today. So what, uh, what do you want to talk about after Sonic? What's our next? So I've been dying to hear about this from you. So I'd love to go to Doolittle because I know you've seen it and I want to hear everything about it. Yes. Yes, I have. So Doolittle, um, I've been trying to like write about this for a while now and I just can't do it because I can't, I can't like figure out what to say about it. It's such a strange movie. Um, right at the top, let me say that Doolittle is a bad movie, just bad. And it's not because it's a kid's movie and it's not because it's CGI, any of that. It's because it just fails on its basic premise. And I was learning a little bit about the behind the scenes and it looks like it went through what a lot of movies go through where this movie was made like a while ago and then it wasn't working. So they like remade half of it and then somebody else came in and did it again. So this movie is sort of like a hodgepodge of three different movies and that just never works. So... Doolittle. Basic premise, uh, it's Dr. Doolittle, of course. I think at this point, most people know who that is, even if you haven't seen the original uh, films or TV show or the Eddie Murphy version, which is, I think, is what most of our generation grew up with. Um, if you saw it at all, you saw the Eddie Murphy one, would be my guess. But basically, there is a doctor, and he can speak to animals. So... Yeah, there's a doctor, uh, or I guess, well, he's a veterinarian in the Eddie Murphy version, and I guess that's sort of what he is supposed to be here, too. It's just like an old-timey version, because he's in, like, um, pre... I think it's supposed to be, like, pre-World War One England, that kind of thing, like, like 1800s England. Um, but basically, he's a doctor, and he can talk to animals. And that's kind of it. That's the gist. He adventures around. I believe it's based on a book series originally. Um, he adventures around. He talks to animals. He saves animals. That's the whole thing. In this version, it's Robert Downey Jr. as the uh, titular character. And every actor you've ever heard of as a bunch of other animals that all come in and out of the movie at different points. Uh, including John Cena as a polar bear is probably one of the more prominent figures in the movie. Um... But there's quite a few. So here's the issue with this movie. Uh, a, the CGI is just terrible. Um, really bad. And it's confusing because it feels like it's simultaneously doing that thing where it's so good. It's like tipping the, the kind of into the uncanny valley. But it also feels like it's about maybe five or six years older 
than what is currently like the norm. And it just doesn't look good. The animals look very fake and nothing about the world that you're seeing looks convincing. And that's kind of an issue. My, and, and maybe this is coming from someone who is, I, I don't know if I call myself like a Dr. Doodle fan, but I did watch that movie a lot as a kid. I watched the Eddie Murphy version. And that version is using, it uses live animals for almost everything, except for, I think, a CGI guinea pig. Um, but it, it's, it uses live animals, including a tiger and a dog, uh, forced by Norm MacDonald. And I mean, it just doesn't feel quite the same when it's all computerized because the whimsy of it all sort of goes out the window. The larger problem here is that Dr. Doolittle in this version is utterly inaccessible. Uh, the plot of this movie is that he loses his wife to a storm or something, and as a result, he is like a shut-in, and the Queen of England is sick, and they gotta go get a secret medicine from a place in order to make her feel better. And he is utterly inaccessible. Like, as a result of being a shut-in, he becomes this I guess, like, animal man, for no other better way to describe it. Like, he doesn't speak English for most of the movie. Not for most of it, but, like, for a, a large part of the beginning, especially. He, like, speaks in animal sounds. So it's just what? Robert Danny Jr., like, like whirling around a room, an empty room, because all the animals are fake, so he's just by himself in a room, whirling around and, like, grunting or you know, making monkey sounds or making a, a bear sound in order to speak to the various animals. And that means that he's already inaccessible. That extends later on, though, and there are parts of this movie where you cannot understand him. He has a very thick, what I think is supposed to be a Scottish accent. I think it's meant to be movie. Welsh. Is it? Is it Welsh? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's not good. And it's also unintelligible. Like, there are times when truly... The, 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 I guess it's the sound mixing is really the problem with this movie. He speaks and you can't hear what he's saying. He like mumbles in like, cause he, he's, he's kind of like, a, he's not very confident. So he drops his chin and I'm doing it right now to kind of give an example of what I'm talking about. Oh no. He like is speaking into his lap in a accent that is not his native accent. And as far as I can tell, if you're watching the mouth movements also seems like it was 80 yard over after and not very well. Which is to say that through the process of them re-recording this movie to make it different things, they clearly had to go back through and re-record his dialogue over himself. And it doesn't always match up. So the whole thing is just strange. It, it, it's this story of what kind of feels like it should be a small, heartfelt story that includes him taking on an apprentice. Turns into this weird grand epic adventure in which he goes sailing across the ocean on a boat full of animals that all help him do like strange non-animalistic things like they shoot cannonballs and stuff um and it's so weird uh i don't really know what else to say about it it's just so weird antonio bandera shows up as his ex-father-in-law and okay. I didn't know it was him at first. Like, as I was looking at him, I was like, man, he seems familiar. And then you finally realize it's Antonio Banderas. And it's so strange. He, like, traps him in a prison, and he's attacked by the tiger, played by Robbie Malek. And there's these weird... There's a weird subplot with uh, uh, a dragonfly that needs to gain confidence 
um, voiced by Jason Matsukas, and that's weird. But none of that really matters. None of this really matters, because what really matters is the ending of this movie. And it's been spoiled already by the internet, so I'm going to comfortably spoil it for the rest of you listeners. I want to reiterate what I just said was the point of Dr. Doolittle, which is that why it's interesting is that it's about a man who talks to animals, and it has this sort of almost like ecological or at least animal-focused bend, uh, especially on like the welfare of animals. The end of this movie involves a dragon. Not like a Komodo dragon, but like a dragon dragon. Like a fantasy dragon. And I don't know who voices that dragon, but uh, it involves a dragon. And the dramatic climax of this film involve, and this is not a joke, everything I'm about to say is real. I am not exaggerating in any way. It involves Robert Downey Jr. performing essentially a colonoscopy on this dragon in which he reaches inside of said dragon through the dragon's rear end and pulls out innumerable objects, uh, including like a knight's helmet or whatever, a drum. And it concludes with him pulling out a bagpipe. And when he pulls out that bagpipe, it finally plays a sound. And throughout this whole process, the dragon is farting uncontrollably. And that is the dramatic end of this movie. Uh, that, that is the actual culmination of the journey, is that they manage to alleviate this dragon of her constipation due to a bagpipe being stuck up her ass. And that is in no way a joke. I cannot describe to you how somber my face is in this moment. That is a real thing. And I, I just don't know. I don't know why it's there. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny. And I know that sounds confusing, but like the scene is actually played like it's supposed to be kind of dramatic. Like there are clearly funny moments, but there's also these moments where it's supposed to be dramatic. Like, oh, the dragon is in such pain. But then he farts really loud and Kumail Nanjiani, the ostrich, is like, oh no. And then Robert J. Ajir is like, that happens in his worst Welsh accent. And then they go back and they they fix the Queen of England and that's the story. Um, his, his rival, the whole movie, is Michael Sheen, uh, who is just giving it his all because he's Michael Sheen. He just doesn't seem to have like a lower switch. We've all seen Twilight. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, he kills it. Uh, my personal favorite Michael Sheen performance is as the club owner in Tron Legacy, which is a movie that I will die on a hill for. Um, it's, it is a very strange movie, and I don't really understand why anyone involved did it. I don't know how it still happened, and even more confusing if you listen to our previous episodes, I don't know how it had the box office legs that it did. Because it was, I believe, number one in the UK uh, the last time that we played the box office game. So, I kind of got nothing. Uh, My recommendation to you is that you do not watch this movie. Uh, And I know that 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 can get kind of controversial because there are people that like to review children's movies as adults' movies. And they are different. And they like to sort of say, like, ugh, they're just for kids. 
I love kids' movies. There are much better films out there. Like, be thoughtful about what you are showing the children in your life and present them something different because this holds no value. Um, I, I kind I don't know why. There's almost a sick part of me that wants to see it again. I will say this at the very least. It was more interesting to me. This is actually an indictment of Star Wars more than anything else. Doolittle was more interesting to me than Rise of Skywalker because it was so bad. Like, it falls so down the ladder that it's actually kind of interesting where you just want to know, like, how did this go so wrong? And and why? Like, what is it really that is so wrong about this? So, yeah, that's what I have to say about Doolittle. Um, unless you love John Cena uh, or you've always been dying to see Robert Janney Jr. continue to act against mostly CGI things in his life, I guess, and have a Welsh accent, I don't think that you should see this movie. And that's my recommendation. I have a question for you. Yeah. Further to what you asked me about Sonic, why do you think he did this movie? Why would Robert Downey Jr. sign on to this movie? So, I think Robert Downey Jr. is in a really... I honestly don't know if there's ever been an actor quite like him. An an actor quite like where he's at currently. Uh, RDJ has been, as of Doolittle, he has been in two films that were not a Marvel film since 2011. And those films were The Judge and Doolittle. He is one of the highest paid actors in the world because Marvel relies on him and relied on him for so long. And he was able to basically uh, contract negotiate not only for him, but for his stars uh, and kind of get whatever he wanted. So, I mean, famously, I think it was a $40 million paycheck is what he took for, I don't know, not even, not even the last Avengers, like Iron Man 3. Um, so what that means is that he's in this really interesting place where I'm not really sure that you can claim there's an actor right now in the world who has more, almost like more recognition, uh, like from their name or even just their face than RDJ. I think there's strong arguments to be made for The Rock and maybe for Tom Cruise, but by virtue of those Marvel movies, RDJ is on top of the world. At the same time, he has only been on top of the world because of what is essentially one giant extended film. So he has no other, like, credits other than, of course, older RDJ. So I don't really think there's anything else happening for him like I and I don't think he wants there to be he's if you kind of follow him a little bit per, like his personal life he's involved in a lot of different projects where he's like funding science projects like space exploration all kinds of stuff like you know he seems like a perfectly happy fulfilled guy and I wish him the best but as far as his like acting career goes I don't think that he's really uh, where he's at right now I don't know if he chose this or if someone told him like you know, the Marvel money's fine, but, like, you're going to have to keep working. Like, that's going to have to keep happening. And because of what you did for them, everyone's going to want you for their CGI movies. And that's my best guess, is that they knew that people would go see Dr. Doolittle because of him. More than anything in the world, they knew that you would go see it because it's the next RDJ movie. And I kind of feel like that's why he was in it. And I don't know if that's him doing it, or if that's pressure from an agent, or whatever. 
Um, but my guess is we're going to see a couple more of these before we ever get back to uh, another run of dramatic RDJ. We're going to have a lot more of CGI RDJ. Weird, silly experiments. Yeah, basically studios saying, we will pay you an ungodly amount of money to stand in front of this screen. Uh, please do so. You know what this reminds me of? So, you know the upcoming Pixar movie, Onward? Yes. Uh, very cute movie. It looks really heartwarming. Basically a tale of these two elven brothers who get a magic spell that allows them to spend one more day with their late father. And I believe very heartwarming, written by somebody who drew on his own personal experience with that. My question was, why is Tom Holland voicing a character in this movie? And then I also remember that he did Spies in Disguise, which is another animated movie where he's voicing a character. Yep. And I was wondering why yep. on earth he would sign on to all of these. I was talking to my friend Aman, who's great. Um, we have a really fun group chat that's mostly about Marvel, but has since spiraled into everything. Um, and his theory is that back when they thought and we all thought Spidey was going to be cut from the MCU, Tom Holland probably just went off and signed on to a whole bunch of movies to make sure he wasn't jobless if that happened. And then these are those movies. Yeah, that is interesting. And I don't know enough about the, the Marvel contracts to know whether or not he was even on their contract or whether or not he was under Sony. Uh, and that means that Tom Holland is still in that era when he's still so new that I think he has to kind of be taking a wide range of projects. And Spies in Disguise and Far From Home, he's also in um, Doolittle, by the way. I think he voices uh, something, a dog or something, I forget. Um, those are both movies that are under Disney, technically. So right. he's also sort of cashing in his Disney ticket. Uh, now that was technically Spies in Disguise, was before the Disney acquisition of Fox, but... Um, it, you know, it was still in talk. So I think he's sort of cashing in that ticket. Uh, but what I hope is that he doesn't get stuck in there. If you remember, his brother in that movie is Chris Pratt, who is also cashing in his Disney ticket. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a factor of, um, you know, they're, they're already under contract. They already know these people. It's a good working relationship. Both of those people have made them a lot of money, so they're going to keep doing it. Or if it's something else, if there's something you know, uh, a little more cynical. Um, I'm not really sure. All right, let's 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 move to our next movie. Let's talk about Bad Boys for Life. Am I right in saying that you haven't seen this movie? You are correct. In fact, I had not seen any of the Bad Boys films, uh, except for little snippets here and there. Um, so as part of my New Year's resolution to watch one new movie a day, I watched both of the Bad Boys back in late January but I still have yet to see the new one. What did you think of the first two? I think they are highly stylized. I think uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence have really good chemistry. I think in particular number two, there are some actually like really interesting cinematic sequences. Um, I think they are products of their time comedically. I'm not really sure they hold up. Um, in that regard, but they are very fun, sort of silly films. Um, on the worst side, though, I think the films have a almost intolerable level of 
adoration and uh, almost like lust for uh, military and paramilitary like police organizations. Um, hmm. It's kind of nuts how much they just adore the concept of like cops and military organizations in any way. I mean, the second film, the various like rogue agents essentially from a bunch of different organizations go follow Will Smith and Martin Lawrence into a non-state sanctioned action in Cuba. Like it's, wow. That's it's on the nose. baffling. Um, it, yeah, it is a very, and it's not like done in a bad way. It's not like they were wrong. So this movie has just a crazy relationship with interventionism. So, um, yeah, they're mostly fun and there are some actually pretty beautiful sequences, but as a whole, I wouldn't say that I loved them. There's parts of them that I think there are to love though. What's amazing about what you just said is I think it would hold up as a review for the third movie. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign. I don't know either. <laughs> so I, the reason I asked, apart from I always care what you think and I'm curious, is that I think that they are puzzle pieces that you need to know about to watch or fully enjoy this movie. I think that they, they considering this movie obviously has come out a long time after the first two, they, they obviously know that a solid amount of their audience is not going to be fans of the franchise or people who are at all familiar with the past movies. So they did do a solid, fair job of making this a sort of standalone movie slash a movie that's meant to pass this mantle of bad boys for life to a new generation of cops, essentially. Um, but most of the joy I think would still come through if you've seen the first two and I think they intended it to be sort of a good love letter finale something that does justice to longtime fans so I hadn't seen the first two so I've I missed out on some of that and I was kind of baffled as well because I didn't even know it was a franchise I don't again I don't know anything that happened in America before a certain year and this is one of those things um so I that said, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, it's it's just it's kind of just a blast. It's super campy. Um, nothing makes sense. It's mostly just drone footage. And if you think about it too hard, it will definitely fall apart. But you're not supposed to. It's just a lot of very like HD film and uh, stunning action shots, slow mo, just drone footage of Miami. Will Smith, you know, working out on on a roof. Um, people saying lines that are straight out of telenovelas um it's just it's that kind of movie so it's not it's not meant to be a great movie but it's really fun you just have to go along with the journey um it's kind of like it's kind of half in spanish the the plot of the movie is they're they're chasing um this this person who was in will smith's character's life a long time ago and there's complications there and there's a crazy big reveal um, that's actually, it changes a lot about the characters. Um, this movie has a lot of stakes. Um, it, like, people almost die and things go pretty left and right. And it's taking you on a, on a very roller coastery ride. Um, it's, it's set in Miami, so it's just kind of highly stylized. Like, everyone's super hot. All the colors are popping. Um, everyone says a lot of cool stuff. Um, it has a really good soundtrack. Um, really, really, really good. Um, also, Nicky Jam is in this movie. Like, he's a character in this movie. Um, which is fun. Good for him. Um, it's, it's not, like, it's not the greatest movie, but everyone, again, is really committed. Um, and there's some, there's some solid comedy. Um, but you probably get the most out of this if you've seen the previous ones, because it's, it's obviously meant to be a bunch of references. And to be honest, the stakes of the movie only kind of make sense 
if you know what they faced before. And I googled a lot of this and then a lot came to light for me. But it's just a fun ride regardless. So just don't expect to be emotionally connected um, because the twists are super easy to see coming. Nothing's a surprise. It's just stylized action. So yeah, yeah, go for it if you if you if you want to. But it's 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 fun. I'm mostly just surprised that I enjoyed it, and that's that's where I fall. This is the first one not directed by Michael Bay, if I'm not mistaken. Oh wow! Oh, I don't okay. Know who I'm gonna just spoil it, something. But it's not directed by him. There's... It's produced by him. I know he's in it. Yeah, he's a he has a cameo yeah. in the movie. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's bizarre. He, I think he shows up in the other two as well. Um, it's like a thing with him that he shows up in his movies at least once. Right, but he he didn't make this movie, which is nice. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's just sort of a nod to him. I mean, there's a lot of but weird yeah, cameos. Like uh, DJ Khaled is in this movie. That is weird. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna check it out just obviously since I watched the other two, and they are like a interesting strange like holdover franchise i mean this was like a big franchise back in the day like big deal um i mean sort of in the way that like i mean you could argue that this and and like fast and the furious like it was in the same vein sort of um and one of them obviously continued and one of them didn't you know what i mean like I don't know. It's just sort of interesting to me that to see what succeeded and or sort of what lived and what didn't. Um, oh, but they're also not meta the about fact it, though. I mean, they make a lot of jokes about how Martin Lawrence obviously has a dad bod in this movie and how they're all kind of out of the game at this and, point. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what's confusing to me is there's other movies like Training Day that got, which is a much more serious film, that got its own like TV show. I don't remember what channel that's on, but there's all kinds of uh, late '90s, early 2000s franchises. Uh, and even earlier than that, 80s franchises that went on to get their own TV shows based on that action uh, cop franchise. Mm -hmm. And this one didn't. And I I don't know. I've always been curious as to why that happened. But I guess if this movie's okay, or at least enjoyable, then maybe that was a good thing. So, uh, but yeah, there's, there's Bad Boys for Life. Good stuff. So. Let's move on to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. We can do that. So I guess that's the last one that you and I saw. Am I right about that? Like we haven't seen the rest of them except for Bird's Prey. Yeah. So I think this is the, this is like the last one. So, uh, yes, let's talk about Portrait of Lady on Fire. Uh, so this is a very good movie. I plugged it in our last episode as my cheating. Um, this is what you should stream, even though it's not streamable currently. Um, it is a very good film. It is a French movie that was uh, on their short list to, be France's uh, best international feature pick for the Oscars, but was ultimately not selected in favor of Les Miserables. Um, It is a love story. It is incredibly good. I kind of don't want to take up that much time to talk about it, actually, because it's there's not a lot to say without sort of spoiling it. Um, I wrote a review on it, if you want to go read that, um, that covers a little bit more. But in short, it is just a beautifully and well-crafted and very empathic film. Um, it, it is a, it is a love story, but it is also a story about the love between women in any form. Um, there are lots of different relationships in this movie. There is, uh, and, and all of them, every relationship, literally everyone is between a woman. Um, there is only, there's one crowd scene with men in it 
and there is one uh, character who is a man who shows up twice for a combined time of probably 10 seconds. Um, That's my kind of movie. It, it, yeah, it, it is. It is. And it's noticeable. It really is. Um, uh, in a way that, that is definitely intentional. Um, uh, it is a movie that celebrates motherhood, sisterhood, uh, uh, like sisterhood, both literally sisters and also like, uh, almost, you know, sorority in, in the, the old use of that word. Um, it's, it's really something to behold. And there's one scene in particular, um, that, uh, I'm going to, it's not really a spoiler, but, uh, I'm going to give no other context other than to say that Pitch Perfect is probably the best acapella franchise, but this is the best movie to ever have acapella in it. And I'm going to stand by that. I, that is so, amazing. Whatever that yeah, means, I, I hope see that it sells now. it for a lot of you. Oh, and it is just beautifully shot. It really is it's truly in French, a gorgeous right? film. Um, yeah, the whole thing's in French, uh, and that should not bother you, uh, especially after the year of Parasite. Mm-hmm. We're done being scared of subtitles. Um, yeah, it, it's a beautiful film. It is. There is so much love and empathy in every single shot, and I've never seen a love story or a romantic film that so deeply and intimately wants to put you within the heads of its subjects so that you are not watching their love story, you are experiencing their love story. And therefore, it, it sort of takes away your own agency to pass judgment. Um, and, and one of the things that I mentioned in the review is, probably the most interesting part to me, is that the film is about two women that fall in love, and never, not one single time in the movie, is it mentioned or discussed or brought up as a problem that that is a non-straight relationship ever. Like they're not, they're not given any identifiers. They don't declare themselves anything. No one is like, Hey, this is bad because you're both women ever. The conflict of the film is that they are in love and one of them is going to marry someone else that someone else happens to be a man. That is also irrelevant. Like that is not the problem. The problem is not, Oh, I have to marry a man and I actually am in love with you and I am bisexual or I am identify as lesbian or whatever. None of that's ever brought up because that's not what those characters are actively thinking to them. Their own conflict is about their love because they're in love with each other and it can't happen. Not because we're in love and we're women and that's not supposed to happen in this time period because that's not what they're thinking. Uh, they're so wrapped up in this moment and in these 11 days that the movie covers. So it was really just sort of this interestingly beautiful rumination on what it is to love a woman as a woman, be that as her friend, as her lover, as her mother, uh, as part of a community of women, whatever. It it was really beautiful. So um, it was also Bong Joon-ho's like constant mention during the Oscar races. Uh, He was constantly talking about this movie. Uh, and I love that him and the director of this film, um, who I believe his name is Celine Siama. Yeah. I may have butchered that. It might be Siama. I'm not really sure. Um, but uh, they went and got Taco Bell the night of the Oscars, like oh, the morning after, uh, at like four in the morning. And apparently just talked for a long time because they both love movies. And 
uh, yeah, it's beautiful. So I can't recommend it enough to people. You should go see it for sure. If you like period pieces, if you like romances, if you like, um, queer love stories, any of the above. Uh, but also if you just like well-made movies, like frankly, um, this is not there. I'm, I'm not a big fan of like stifling, uh, very dry period pieces. This is not that. So definitely go see it. Um, I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, yeah, that's Portrait. Gay film Twitter's all over it. And so should you. It's great. Yeah, it, it really is great. Um, and it's it did come out last year, technically, but it is currently in theaters. I realize that, that is, it also got a very limited release, so it is probably inaccessible. If you are listening to this podcast and you do not live in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Austin, and maybe Orlando and Denver, um, you might have a problem seeing it, but... Uh, the internet. Yeah. You know, rent it if you can. I'm not, this is one of those movies where I'm not advocating that you go uh, find uh, extra legal means of watching it because it is very good and it is support a the filmmakers. Film and, and yeah, exactly. Filmmakers deserve to be supported when it's, especially when it is uh, filmmakers who are not making giant corporate films. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, that is Portrait of Lady Empire. What would you like to cover next? So as we wade out of the waters of somewhat qualified reviews into the murky depths of we are really just riffing based on what we've heard, right? Yeah. let's go to The Invisible Man. Perfect. So this is going to be us just giving quick bite-sized takes on movies that we haven't seen. I'm excited for this. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about this? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So... I mean, this movie has gotten such good reviews. It's supposedly, like, really good. Just a very, very solid thriller. Um, so it's obviously an adaptation of a classic tale. Uh, so it's essentially, this adaptation focuses on a woman who is dealing with an abusive ex-boyfriend, basically, and how his gaslighting and his abuse manifests as this kind of permanent presence in her life. So it's, it's a thriller. Um, it, it, they definitely try to make this scary. It's not light thriller like Parasite or something. It's it, there. There's a lot of scare in it based on what I've read. I've also read that this boyfriend character is a world leader in the field of optics, which like, what does that mean? What is, what are optics? I don't know what that is. I just think it's so funny. Like PR? <laughs> oh, I thought it was like vision anyway. Or like, that's what I mean. I don't know which of those could be true. Right. It could either be like like light physics or it could be pr maybe it's both but I know, I know that he invented something and apparently that thing that he invented plays a big role in this movie so i guess the optics are explained but not according to the reviews um so he's not really in this movie much the, the point is his presence is obviously felt um because the focus is on the main character cecilia who is played by elizabeth moss and apparently just kills it she is everything she carries this movie she gives life to the character she apparently the very first scene of this movie is just instant suspense she's like tiptoeing around looking for where he might be so it just ramps up to 100 from minute one um and so it's it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. It's 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 pretty intense, but it's supposedly a really like well-done depiction of like abuse and and gaslighting and and how how that stays with you. Like it's 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 well done. It's not they didn't just adapt that and they were like the Me Too era. They'll love this. It was it's it's a good job. Um, and I have a really fun fact about this movie for you. Um, apparently. This movie was supposed to be a big production a few years ago, and Universal was supposed to produce it. Um, it was supposed to star Johnny Depp as the ex-boyfriend, 
and it was yes. going to be in the dark universe. And then they part of the dark universe it, franchise. And then they made the mummy with Tom Cruise instead. And I don't know if I'm happy about that or just so yeah. sad. And then the dark universe died because the mummy did not do well at all. I could do a whole episode yeah. on that. I watched yeah. it in the theaters with my dad and we were like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Like, what is going on? It's 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 one of the worst movies I've ever seen. So yeah, hell yeah, watch it. Uh, especially if you like that kind of movie. But I, I suppose if, if, you, if you're not into scary stuff, then give it a miss. Uh, do you want to know my take on The Invisible Man? I really do. That I haven't seen? Uh, when I was in like third grade, maybe, uh, I was uh, in the car driving down the highway with oh, God. Uh, my mother's husband, and he hit a patch of ice, and we rolled on the highway. And during that process, I was reading The Invisible Man. And I was such a book nerd and was so engrossed in not paying attention to the world around me that I 100% just didn't realize what was happening at the time. And it wasn't until I was upside down that I was like, hmm, something's wrong. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, okay. Because suddenly my book was upside down, and so was I. And I was like, oh, this is hard to read. And then, you know, that was that. So uh, that's my entire take on The Invisible Man. Uh, in addition to, uh, it would have been fascinating to see this movie with Johnny Depp and Elizabeth Moss, because yes. those people have had to, no. One of those people has had a very problematic last probably six to eight years worth of like PR. Um, optics. For a variety of reasons. Optics. And the other one of them should and just doesn't. So <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. It is really weird. I that's feel all like I'll in say some that. universe, they're kind of each other's tethereds. You know, there's something, there's something connected yep. about them. In a very uh, Hancock kind of way. Do you get that reference? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Will Smith that. movie? Yes. Back in the day. I man. Okay. Listeners, this is my promise to you. We'll do an episode on the movie Hancock. It is one of the strangest films you'll ever see. And it predates the superhero boom. And it's like it called it too early. And it involves Charlize Theron and angels. And it is... It's so weird. Bafflingly strange. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. Let's keep this train moving. Uh, our next movie, uh, we have The Photograph, which is a movie with Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae, mm -hmm. and is a love story, to my understanding. Uh, from my base understanding, it has been compared to The Notebook, but my understanding is that that is sort of like a weak comparison. Um, that is sort of a lazy comparison. Like it's what better I than The Notebook. What I do know is that it is about... I don't think it's that it's better necessarily. I think it's that comparing it to The Notebook is just... In the same way that you and I talked about how Birds of Prey should not be compared to Deadpool. Got it. But people are comparing it because it's just a fourth wall breaking character from a superhero film franchise. This one is about people who fall in love and there's photographs. And that one they fell in love and there's a notebook. And it's told across two different time periods. And like that's the comparison. Um, I have not seen this movie. Uh... It is exactly the type of movie that I generally don't see. Uh, R.E. what I just said about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, where uh, there are certain types of romances that even from the trailers, you're like, oh boy, this is going to take a while, isn't it? Like there's just, there's like an earnestness to them that I don't really enjoy. Um, all that being said, I've heard it's actually quite good. Um, maybe the movie itself isn't, but that the performances really are. So my take is this. The Photograph is a boring name for a movie, and 
it should have been marketed better, uh, considering that it is a love story that released on Valentine's Day. And also, Lakeith Stanfield and Issa Rae are both very good actors. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield, in particular, has been doing a lot of really weird and really different stuff. And he has had just a hot couple, like, five years now, where he has really been a constant presence. So I'm excited to see what he continues to do. And that is my photograph take. Yeah, my take on this movie is just it's going to be weird seeing him play a normal character, isn't it? Yeah, this is the first time he's been, like, a normal guy. Just a dude. At least I assume he's normal. Maybe right. he's not. Maybe, maybe he's, like, a maybe ghost Maybe it turns into... God, what is that? What's that Boots Rally movie? Uh, Sorry to Bother You. Yes. Maybe it turns into that halfway through. Which is a great movie. Very weird movie. Love that movie. Great movie. Okay. So that is The Photograph. Uh, the next thing we have is possibly The Call of the Wild. Oh, God. Or possibly just Call of the Wild. It's just Call of the Wild. Who knows? Who knows? Articles are hard. Uh, so this is uh, Harrison Ford and a CGI dog. In yes. the classical story called The Wild. Shalila, what is your take on this movie that we haven't seen? So, I'm absolutely not going to watch this movie. You know why? Because there are too many dog movies. I can't believe I'm saying this, but every Friday, no, we just lost all our listeners. But here's here's my thing. You know when you go for a movie and then you're watching all the trailers, and then inevitably there's yeah. always one weird dog movie. There's just a lot of those. Yeah. And they always have, like, a surprisingly big star, and they're all kind of the same movie. Like, there was... And lately, they've all had the same title. Yes, there was A Dog's Way Home. Yeah. Which is like, you know, what was that? Like, it's just Colorado scenery, and it's just voiceover. Then we had The Art of Racing in the Rain, which was that, you know, the Mm -hmm. the weird... The dog wants to be a racer or believes that's his destiny or something. And then... Mm -hmm. And Kevin Costner plays the dog, like, voices the dog. And it's just, like... It's like, I have a great joke about this. It should have been Ford versus Ferrari. I'll pause for effect. That was terrible. I know. Terrible joke. Terrible. But apparently it has a really wholesome ending. And I I guess my holdup with these dog movies is I'm always terrified they're going to die at the end after Marley and me. It scarred me. Yeah. So now I don't watch dog movies. Got it. That's, That's my take on this movie. But I mean, I do know some stuff about the background. I know obviously it's, um, based on a book, um, by Jack London and the whole deal is that he's like a raging racist like he's like super weird like the original book has all these like racist characters and like he and his really yeah like in his personal life he basically grew up this in this privileged life in this huge mansion and was like super pro-slavery like he he had all these comments like he would say things like my house needed our servants all these like super super bad things and all of his characters are just like bad like dog is (laughs) <laughs> no but there's other like characters it, is call the wild supposed to be like a parable like a not jungle book really but it, style it's situation not at all so he didn't write this to be okay, a good. metaphor but he but it just straight up has oh, bad great. bad work like the characters are just questionable okay so it never it was never meant to stand for anything other than his authorial voice which is questionable that's what it is so luckily in this version those storylines have been greatly changed. They like luckily replaced a bunch of the characters with actual actors of color and they took out all the racist shit and added in some good stuff. And it was basically like a jumble of, so his personal life is just full of pro-slavery and if that wasn't bad enough, just super like pseudo-scientific and religious beliefs. Like he would just say things like, all my work must be rooted in evolution. Like he said all these things. These are real things. This guy is not a good person. But none of that is in this movie. So this movie is kind of what I've read is, meant to be like a pushback on its source material like apparently the people who made this were like 
that guy sucks. Um, screw that. We're going to make a better movie. Well, this movie is, first off, not racist and all that stuff, but also it's kind of a commentary on climate change. Like they were like, we're going to talk about science like extremely and we're going to talk about like this beautiful land where everything is thriving and this weird CGI dog is there. So it's it's kind of like an interesting take on the tales, I guess, if you're one of those people who was super involved in his work and has read the book or like watched the previous ones, then this is a good take. But otherwise, I don't know why you would watch this movie. I mean, I guess Harrison Ford is in it and he goes full uncle with his beard. Um, and the dog is supposedly super weird, like not the greatest CGI. Um, that's all. That's what I got on this movie. Okay. Here's my take. I agree with you. There are too many dog movies, but here's my problem with them. All dog movies now are exactly the same and they are all strangely, like not really strangely, but they're all way too saccharine. Uh, there's not nearly enough conflict. And when there is conflict, you're like, oh my God, they might die. But in the same boring way as Marley and me. Right. Uh, my biggest issue with this movie is, and this movie, Homeward Bound was so good and was the upper echelon of what a dog movie can be. Stop making dog movies with CGI dogs. Yeah. Like, I understand that there are like animal health issues and like, yes, probably the right movie isn't. Let's put actual Harrison Ford and an actual team of real dogs on a melting piece of ice or something. But you know what? It's all green screened anyway. Just get some real dogs in there. Get some really, you know, have the oversight like you should. John Wick 3 had two dogs in one of the best combat scenes I've ever seen. Those dogs were fine, I assume. Uh, stop having CGI dogs. They look bad. They're not good things to CGI. Just like babies. Don't CGI babies. Don't CGI dogs. I don't know why. Those are just the rules. But Homeward Bound was the single greatest dramatic venture involving dogs going on a mountain journey, and I just don't think you should do it otherwise. That's take number one. Take number two, Harrison Ford. What are you doing, buddy? Like, I assume, you know, Harrison Ford, he lives in Jackson. Like, I know that he loves the outdoors. He's got his ranch. I'm sure that's probably a draw for him for Call of the Wild. But he's also Harrison Ford, which means he got the script, and he's like, cool, Call of the Wild, awesome. And then he showed up for shooting and they were like here's your dog and it was just a guy on the ground wearing a morph suit so that they could cgi the dog how was he okay with that how is he okay with that harrison buddy you're better than this you know like i i don't know you can't be wanting for money you're indiana jones and also han solo <laughs> you're fine so i don't know i just want to know what went into this i really have no desire to see this uh especially because it does look very saccharine however I did not know about the climate change aspect. That's kind of an interesting twist. If they're trying to change it up a bit, maybe that could be okay. I have actually heard that this movie is surprisingly good. You just have to get past that it's a CGI dog. It's um, kind of a big thing to get past. So I guess I'll try. Yeah, that's my big problem with it. I'll, I'll try. I'll try for Harrison's sake. Uh, we are on first name terms as of this podcast. So, um, But yeah, I really just think at this point, they, they got to stop doing that. Bring back the real animals. If you haven't seen Homeward Bound, by the way, I'm not talking about the original because I didn't see that. I mean the 90s Disney one. It is so good. There's not only a real dog. There's two of them. And don't think I'm going to stop there. There's also a real cat. There's a cat? A this real is your cat home. Who goes exploring through... Uh, oh my God, is it my home? Who goes exploring through the mountains. That's a cat. You know how hard it is to get cats to act? I assume very hard. I don't really know. 
So that's it. That's Call of the Wild. They didn't get the cat back. They just waited around for five years filming a cat while it did whatever it wanted. And at some point it wanted to climb a mountain. They were like, there's a shot. (laughs) That's super true. That's how cats work. They just stuck a camera. (laughs) As cat owners. We know. I would love if that was true. Okay, I have a response to that. First off, speaking of horrifying CGI babies, again, Twilight. Yeah. I I feel like I have to do an episode on Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2. I'm so passionate about those movies. They are my favorite disasters. No, that is true. Um, number two, you're super right that all these dog movies are the same, like, airbrushed, family-friendly CGI movie that make, like, enough of a statement to justify a modern remake, but then not enough to push a strong message to the Disney crowd. So they're all kind of the same thing. They're all, like, yep. a little sad and voiceover, and yep. there's an ending. And I just think we could do better. We can. So, that's it. That's my whole take. Uh, let's talk about Emma, which seems like a much more interesting movie. Yeah. I know nothing about it other than it is based on a, a, a something. Yeah, it's based on a play. famous Maybe Jane a Austen novel. Aha. I've read the novel. Okay, great. Uh, I don't know anything about it. But to me, based on the trailers alone, it sure seems a lot like the favorite. Like yeah. the tone of the movie is being marketed very similar to the to the favorite. I don't know if it's like of that's probably true. inherently that's a mistake because take. you can't you can't that's do it. anything like the favorite again. It was that's that was right. it. Um but yeah I've also read about it and supposedly it's just super middling. It's just uh I guess if you're really into Jane Austen or just really like period dramas, then it's a fine movie. I just really like Anya Taylor Joy, the actor who plays Emma. She's great. I like her so much. I feel like she's the big up and comer right now. Um, we're probably going to see her Who, everywhere. What else has she been in? Can you name me another movie? She is in The New Mutants. That's the big thing that's coming out. Oh, can you name a movie that I would have seen? <laughs> sure. Um, have you watched The Witch? <laughs> but, no. You haven't no, seen The no, Witch? No, that was a horror movie, so yeah, I Yeah, but it's really, no. it's one of those, one of the ones no. you have to make a for. Movie. Oh, Lord. Give me another one. That was her big breakthrough. Um, she was in Split, but I, I haven't seen Split, so... No, didn't see Split. Give me another Oh, one. Lord. Um, Thoroughbreds. E24. That sounds like it's about horses. I didn't see it's that. It's not. Pick another one. It's, it's a little creepy, though. Um, Vampire Academy. I bet you had a tiny role. No, didn't see that. Okay, okay that's here's it. Here's what you found out. I don't know who this person is. But I believe you. I believe that they're good. So I'm, I'm, I'm in. I like the trailer. The trailer was good. I'm, I'm in for it. I just need to go see it. She's very, like, niche, like, British talent. Um, she's not even British. I think she's actually American and Argentinian or something, but she has a British accent, so she's probably lived here for some time. Um, oh, she was born in Miami, but she's a dual citizen of the UK and Argentina. This woman is living my dream. Okay. There you go. Cool. Okay. So that's Emma. It seems like a, like a smart, snarky period piece. That's, that's Emma. Uh, Gretel and Hansel. Now... Our longtime listeners know that I don't watch horror movies, so I did not watch this. Um, so I don't have a take, except for this. Don't call your movie Gretel and Hansel. <laughs> because the name of the story is Hansel and Gretel. And there was like a thread on Twitter the other day that was talking about there's like this weird old rule in English that explains why a lot of things are the way they are, like the way that we say them, like ping pong, for example, and flip flop. And you know that that's right because when I say flop flip, your brain breaks. Gretel and Hansel is that thing. Don't do that. You know, it's, it's, it's Hansel and Gretel. 
Um, that's it. That's my entire take. I assume this movie is about the fairy tale, and I assume it's about a witch who tries to eat little kids because they break into her house. Which, if we're being honest, not the worst motivation. You're on the side of the witch, um, right? I just don't think that little children should break into your house and try to shove you inside an oven. I think that's fairly rude. So, I think if you're an old German witch and those are greedy little children, then, you know, whatever. Um, but I especially think that if their names are Hansel and Gretel, Hansel goes first. Um, that, is an, that is an appropriately uninformed take, and I love it. Thank you. Uh, do you have anything you can remember you to our Gretel and Hansel? Thing? Yeah, so I don't know shit about this movie because it hasn't released here, and it's not going to. Even if it was, wouldn't see it. So I'm going to take two minutes to talk instead about Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. Do you know this movie? Yeah, with uh, Vince... Uh, What's his face? Jeremy Renner. Um, oh, wait, what am I thinking? <laughs> Not this. Am I thinking of the, I'm thinking of The Last Witch Hunter with, uh, with uh, what is his name? It's not Vince Vaughn. It's, uh, it's the guy from Fast and the Furious. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nightmare. But yes, I do know that movie uh, with, with Jeremy Renner. I did not see it, but I do know of it. It's a really bizarre movie. It was That's not great, but it's like gratuitous violence. Fun, and yeah. Gemma Arterton. I really love her. I love her so much. She is in one of my yep. silly favorite movies of all time, which is St. Trinian's. It's a whole series and I love it. Um, but Jeremy Renner, <laughs> why Why did he do this? I don't know. He was shooting he Avengers and he was shooting yeah. Born Legacy. So yeah. guess he did this anyway. I don't, I don't know anything about Hansel and Gretel or Gretel and Hansel or any of these movies. Um, this is a really weird fairy tale to continue making movies out of. Um, there are better ones. So yeah. that's, that's Maybe what I Maybe that's to say. actually, let me, let me ask you this. So let me, let, let's put one, I'm going to give you a one minute timer. Let's have like an actual substantive discussion on Gretel and Hansel here for a second. Do you think it is the right move for studios to start tapping old school fairy tales for the next wave of basically like any form of genre, but it looks like it's going to be horror to thriller adaptations, probably because of the success of Get Out. Everyone is trying to just make a popular horror movie. Do you think that uh, traditional Grimm's German fairy tales are the way to do that? No, because the original fairy tales are always going to be creepier than the movies you make. Like they're not going to be as creepy as the really disturbing source material. I agree. My biggest issue with it is because they are adapting something that is so ubiquitously known, at least in the West, you are never going to get past the connection to the fairy tale. Like, in other words, they can never be more than their gimmick. And the beauty of a movie like Get Out was there was no gimmick. Right. As an original property, uh, it has no gimmick, and therefore... It doesn't have anything to supersede. But if you go make like a Red Riding Hood horror movie about a killer wolf in the woods or something, you're never going to get over the fact that it's like, the, oh, this is the Red Riding Hood horror movie. And I think that if you're trying to make a franchise or like a just an extended set of things that you can adapt because they're free IP, I don't think you're ever going to get away from it. Uh, my bid is that they shouldn't be doing that. Instead, they should be taking the open IP movies that Disney has, and they should be doing horror movies out of those. So stop doing Hansel and Gretel and Red Riding Hood. Start doing Snow White 
Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Peter Pan, Dumbo, take every one of Disney's open IP movies because they're based on open properties and make horror movies out of those. Capitalize on Disney's thing and make subversive movies about them because it probably is also like a commentary on the fact that they own those properties even though they can't literally own them. That'd be my thing. If I was a producer, that's what I would greenlight. There you go. Okay, that's Gretel and Hansel. What a substantive discussion. Uh, how about The Gentleman? Here's what I know about The Gentleman. This is Guy Ritchie. And uh, also, right? It's Guy Ritchie produced, yeah. maybe directed? No, it's extremely I, Guy I don't Ritchie. Remember which. Okay, great. And it's um, Henry Golding, I believe. Yep. If I said his name correctly, I think it's Golding. It is. And that is it, as far as I know about the cast. What I know about this movie is that it is sort of like James Bond. And also that there is some racist stuff in it. Uh, and also, it's pretty fun, despite all of the problematic stuff. It's one of those movies that people enjoyed despite themselves. And that's my entire knowledge and take. So I've actually seen this movie twice in theaters. Oh, wow. And I don't have anything to add. You said it all. It's extremely <laughs> Guy Ritchie. There's a load of racist stuff in there. It's super, super fun. And you kind of hate yourself for how much you enjoy it. That's the same thing that you said. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> By the way, they just greenlit Aladdin 2, and Guy Ritchie apparently is back. Is he? Yeah, why? 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 I don't know if we ever talked about this, but... Go get whoever Bollywood's biggest and most gettable director is and do that. Yes. Like, stop. Stop. Why Guy Ritchie? Like, I understand the first one made like a billion dollars. Like, that's great. I'm, I'm fine with that. And I have no ill will against Guy Ritchie as like a guy. Right, whatever. But that movie was fine. Like, it wasn't very good. It also wasn't the worst. But I would like to see a more interesting version of that. And if you're going to do a musical, I don't know. It just... And if you're going to do an already like cultural blend where it's not really the Middle East and it's not really Africa and it's not really India. Right. It's ethnic. At least go get some people that aren't British. <laughs> I don't know. Just <laughs> anything. Anyway, uh, that's it. That's that's the gentleman. It's mostly about Aladdin. Uh, that brings us to Downhill, a movie that neither of us has seen. Not at all. Um, here's what I know about Downhill. It stars Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It is based on a French film. Uh, it is a, a remake of that. And it is about a family that is at a ski resort when an avalanche happens. And when that happens, the dad just skis away and basically like takes off. And it's like the, the fallout of that decision. Uh, from what I understand, it is not very good. And I feel like that should be expected. Here's my hot take. Movies in which they combine big actors, um, like big comedic actors, probably like the biggest of their respective, uh, at least binary gender, uh, don't work. And I don't know why that is, but they just don't. For example, Date Night, Steve Carell, Tina Fey, not that good of a movie. Like, it should be a good movie, and it's just not. So as soon as they announced Downhill was Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, which sounds like it should be a monster hit. Yeah. Those are two of probably our most successful comedic actors working today. 
Julie Louis Dreyfus is, of course, like a phenom. Uh, I don't know. My first instinct was like, yeah, it's going to be bad. I I'm hope I'm wrong. You. But if I'm not mistaken, the reviews have been pretty middling. So I don't really know why that is. I think it's almost like there's just too much star power. And they're also putting peoples together that don't really work together, other than that they are funny people. That's my entire, like, guess. Maybe I'm wrong. But anyway, as far as I know, it's pretty middling. But honestly, I like both of those people. I plan on seeing it because I like them and I want to see them act. And that's it. Yeah. I don't know anything about this movie. I just know that it got Will Ferrell to be on Hot Ones on YouTube, so I was happy about that. Is that the one where they drink hot sauce? They do not or, just no, directly they drink. Yep, and yep. they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. That's the Paul Rudd meme. Yeah. See, I, I, hello, fellow teens. You've been on Twitter.com. You've logged in. <laughs> yeah, I love Twitter.com. Um, okay, our next movie, Fantasy Island. Bloomhouse. You have not seen this. No, I haven't. I, have I don't think it even released here. Do you know anything about Fantasy Island? Not a single thing. There's an island? Okay, I figured because you have confessed to not knowing anything about America before the year 2000. Fantasy Island is based on a TV show called Fantasy Island. What? Uh, that starred Ricardo Montalban. When will this happen? And hell it was end basically <laughs> it was basically an anthology show where each episode uh, Ricardo Montalban as his character's name I forget would be on the island. Uh, and he had a partner whose name was Tattoo. Uh, Are you making this up? And the most famous line from that is, I'm sorting out, I'm not making it up. And his partner would say, boss, du plane, du plane, and then the plane would come. And it was an anthology show, and each episode, people would come, and they would have like a wish where they're like, I wish my marriage would be fixed or something. And the whole point of the show is like, he makes their wishes come true, but like with an educational twist where he's like, you want your marriage fixed because you're not happy with your wife, but really you're not happy with yourself or something. So then the way he fixes it, he fixes them rather than like, I don't know, whatever, getting a new wife or something. I don't remember any of the actual episodes. That's just the basic gist. This movie uh, is basically their play on like Ready or Not and a couple others where they're starting to take, again, sort of like the what we just talked about with um, Gretel and Hansel, they're taking old TV shows or old games. If you remember, the Ouija movie was out a while ago. Uh, like, Hide and Seek came out. There was that other one, too. Um, it just came out recently where they were, like, dead for 10 seconds or something. Uh, basically, they're just turning to base a bunch of horror movies on any game or any TV show that ever existed. So, this is Fantasy Island, but a horror movie. It's the exact same plot, except it doesn't have Ricardo Montalban. Uh, and kids come to the island and they make wishes but then they start dying because the wishes are being fulfilled but not in a good way in a monkey's paw kind of way and that's fantasy island uh i know it sounds like i just made that up but i really didn't yeah i'm still processing half of what you said yeah my entire take is that i love the idea of it i just don't like horror movies so i would be okay if they switched it to thrillers and Frankly, I love the idea of it. Like, if you want to take any old TV show where you're like, here's Love Boat. Now it's a thriller. Uh, Good stuff. That sounds great. Uh, I just love the idea of it. Why not? That's silly and dumb. Let's have more of it. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, even even game shows. Like, here's Price is Right. But it's a thriller. Oh. You know? I mean, this thing just kind of sounds like a Frankenstein amalgamation of a bunch of things. It sounds like... Fortnite X Ready or Not X Lord of the Flies X Hunger Games X Twilight Zone 
X the Hunt. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I, I think it's okay. Keep keep doing this. Keep keep adapting. We're on board. Yeah, so that's Fantasy Island. Uh, I don't know if we should recommend it because I don't know anything else about it. Actually, no. I'm pretty sure it has a terrible review right no, now. No, then on don't Tate, go, anyway. I guess. I don't actually know, but uh, Michael Pena's in it. He's funny. That's all I have to say. So why don't you wrap us up with our last movie, uh, or our second to last, rather, which is a movie that I think only you have access to and I do not. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that I do because nobody should probably watch this movie. This movie is Like a Boss. Now, I haven't seen this movie, but I've seen some of it over the internet because I've read such outrageously bad reviews about it that I was like, I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's possible because it has such a great cast. This is a movie that has Rose Byrne, Tiffany Haddish, and Salma Hayek playing the campiest cartooniest Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, this movie already came out. What? I know what you're talking about. This movie this movie came out, I think, um, maybe at the end of last year. I didn't realize this is what you were talking about. It's This bad. is the one where they're trying to, to where Sama Hayek gives them seed money, right? And then they, yes. like, screws them up? Yeah. They're business owners. It disappeared from theaters virtually instantly. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. Great. So, Like a Boss, it released here now. It has released there previously. It will probably not make an impact anywhere. It's a shockingly bad movie for a great cast. How does Rose Byrne, Tiffany Haddish, and Selma Hayek go wrong? I don't know. Maybe because it's supposed to be one of those women comedies that was written entirely and directed by men. I don't know. Ah, there it is. And also because I think that studios are just having a really hard time with comedies right now. They don't know what to do. So... Yeah, I feel like Blockers and Longshot were some of the only good ones we had in a while. And after that... Oh, I liked Blockers. I love Blockers. Yeah, and everyone knows our love for Longshot. And yeah. that's on Netflix, so no excuse. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about, though. As soon as you said Tiffany Hash and Rose Byrne, I was like, man, there's no way they made another movie, so... Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, apparently it released on January 10th, 2020. And it just, so technically that should have been in our list. So great job. Oh, good job. Way, way okay. Put that in there. Yeah. yeah. It just disappeared so fast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yikes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that. So our last movie on our list is Birds of Prey, which, uh, I'm sorry, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, unless for SEO purposes, you'd like to call it Harley, Harley Quinn, Quinn colon, colon Birds of Prey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're not going to talk about this because that's called content cannibalization. That's a word that I learned recently. You should just go listen to episode three of our podcast in which we talk all about Birds of Prey and we talk about how much we like Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Yes. And we talk about how hot she is mm -hmm. and we talk about how amazing Ewan McGregor's suits are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, go check that out. Uh, so I think this is it. Uh, looking at, I'm just going to briefly talk about some movies that are coming up. Um, and I guess I just kind of want to give like a, like a, I want you to give me like a, like a thumbs up, thumb down. Are you, are you in on it or are you not in on it? Uh, so these are movies that are coming out very soon. Onward from Pixar, aforementioned. Big old thumbs up. Okay. Mulan coming out March 27th. From Disney, live action. All right, I'm going to make a really quick confession. I haven't seen Mulan, the first, the original. 
That's okay. It's we not know. okay. It's we probably know. disastrous, but... No, I mean, inside I'm dying. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. So are, is this a thumbs up or thumbs down? Thumbs up. I'll watch them both. Okay, great. Uh, some interesting things about that movie. I just read recently. The director is white. What? From New Zealand. She is a woman, but she is white. And she gave an interesting interview answer regarding that. So this will be interesting. Hmm. Uh, anyway, F9, Fast and Furious, May 22nd. Uh, thumbs up or thumb down? Middling. I don't know. We'll see. Ooh, a sideways thumb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Bloodshot, March 13th with Vin Diesel. I don't even know what that is. It is a comic book adaptation uh, from Valiant Comics, which is a uh, sort of like maybe the fourth largest, they might be the fourth largest producer in America. I'm not positive on that. Don't quote me on that world. But basically it is a super assassin who can heal himself. And Vin Diesel is uh, uh, playing him. Okay, great. That was easy. Um, I still believe, which I don't know anything about, but from the poster, it looks like it has Archie from Riverdale and also a blonde woman. Okay. I would have to be really sold on this. (laughs) Shania Twain? What? (laughs) Okay. It's not Shania Twain. She's in the movie. Okay. Here's the cast. It is Britt Robertson. No. Yeah. It's Britt Robertson. I don't know who that is. K.J. Appa, who is Archie, of mm-hmm. course. And Shania Twain is in this film. Uh, also, Gary Sinise. So, are you in on this film or not? I mean, I have no reason to be in on this based on what I've heard so far. So, no. I don't know. Okay, I kind of agree Wait, with Brick that. Britt Robertson was in A Dog's yeah, Purpose, which is one of those dog movies. Oh, God. I'm excited to see Shania Twain act, though. Uh, Green Knight. The Green Knight. God, I'm bad with articles. Uh, Dev Patel uh, in a adaptation of a classic... Uh, uh, British mythology, mm-hmm. I think. Um, thumbs up or thumb down on this A24 movie. Side note, watch this trailer instantly if you haven't. There's no way you're not going to get so super good. excited after you've watched it. And the it. poster. And also we just generally so love to see this kind of casting for fantasy series. So, yeah. maximum thumbs up. Okay, that's May 29th, so we got a bit to go for that. Uh, other things in March. A Quiet Place Part 2. Ooh, we should do an episode on that. Yeah, thumbs up. Great. Okay. Black Widow, May 1st. Mm -hmm. No Time to Die, April 10th. The final Daniel Craig James Bond movie. Yep. Thumbs up. Ana de Armas is in it, so yeah. Oh, God. I'm so excited. Uh, The Way Back. What now? Which is Ben Affleck's basketball coach movie. And it also has um, Janina Gavinkar and some other folks. Okay, well, I didn't hear anything that, on that perked me up there, so no. I got it. Just as a quick note, this is one of the most confusing movies, the trailers that I've seen in a very long time. Um, it's It seems like a movie that was made 10 years ago, and I don't know why it's here. Oh, I'm so great. excited. It might be good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I think the final movie releasing anytime soon, uh, that's not true. There, there is more, but not that I'm willing to scroll all the way down for. Um is Trolls World Tour, which is either oh, the second God, or third more. Trolls movie. I'm not they sure. They keep making these Thumbs movies. up or thumb down. I mean, thumbs up for the kids. I'm not going to go see it. Okay. Great. Great. All right. We are going to play a couple of games today. The first thing that we are going to play uh, is called Binge Mary Berry. It is a alternate uh, podcast restrictions friendly way 
of playing a pretty famous game that I'm going to call Bunk Mary Kill. Or Wed Bed Behead. Uh, Wed Bed Behead. There's one that I've never heard of, but that Shalila knows. So you're all familiar with the rules of this game. But uh, this was submitted by our longtime listener, Alex, um, who many of you will know as uh, my uh, wonderful partner. Uh, that's the character name that I give her on this podcast. Uh, so the rules of this game are the binge movie. We are going to pick you. I'm going to make you pick uh, a movie to fill each of the slots in the list of movies that we have talked about today. Your binge movie is the movie that you would sit down and watch all day long for one day in the theater. Perfect seating, perfect like everything else. Like you get food, everything's good to go, but you only get one day. To just watch nothing but this movie. Uh, Mary, we kept because there's just no better word than Mary. So this is a movie that you have to watch once a week for the rest of your life. And then Barry, which is B-U-R-Y, uh, which is a film that you are burying. So this is a film that, if you had your way, would never have existed in the first place. So, Shalila, out of the list of movies that we talked about today, who... Do you binge Mary Berry? Okay. I'm going to pause for five seconds while I think. Play some music. That was Girl from Ipanema by Eric. This is KQRX, Milwaukee, 7 o'clock. Coming up next, we have... Queer jazz artists of the late 70s in Philadelphia. This is NPR. <laughs> All right, just, uh, <laughs> just going to start talking now. Did that give you enough time to think? <laughs> Not at all. I was too distracted by what you were saying. <laughs> all right, let's kick it off with binge. So when I was watching Bad Boys for Life, it occurred to me that a lot was happening a lot of the time on screen. And all of it was fun, but I was processing it about 10 minutes too late. Just too much was happening, and they didn't really think the plot through. Stuff would just pop out of nowhere, and you were like, what, he has a son? Okay. But I liked it. It was fun. So I'm going to binge it. I would watch this movie over and over again, one day, have fun with the action, fully understand the plot, like, get a load of Miami, good times, and then just never see it again. Because uh, that's it. I don't care. And also, I'd be really happy to do it after I've watched the first two. Now, Mary. This one's really hard because you're probably going to get super tired of it after a point. So my initial thought was Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but I don't want to ruin beauty like that. So I'm not going to pick that. So I'm probably going to pick something pretty tame. Because if I have to watch this every single week until I die, like Emma, I think. Like, it's not going to be horror, it's not going to be thriller, so probably something sweet and nice and snarky, period-y, good respite from life. Um, Barry. It's not Doolittle, it's going to be Like a Boss, because I think it set feminism back several thousand steps. <laughs> that was an unexpected reason, I like that. Uh, okay, my B, B, no, BMB, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of... Uh, instead of FMK, it's BMP. Um, binge. 
I am going to... I'm actually going to pick something I haven't seen. Uh, my first instinct was Birds of Prey, but frankly, I think that that movie would not hold up all day long. I'd probably get kind of tired of it. It's a little bit of an exhausting movie because it is just so... Like, there's really dark parts, and also it's just so visually intensive. I'm going to take a guess and say that if I saw Sonic all day long, I'd probably have an okay time. Yeah, it's pretty great. Just for one day, though. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, consumable enough, but not heady enough to, to make it bad. So that's going to be my binge. Um, I marry, I would marry Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, I'm not really worried about it decreasing in quality, nor me getting tired of it. It is just such a good movie. What I would be excited for is that every week I would get to watch another, um, like, I get to see something I'd missed because there's so much in it. Um, so that would be that. And then my Barry. I think that this one is, should be fairly obvious for everyone. I would bury Doolittle. Um, very, very deep. In a very deep hole where it could never come back out. I'm sure this movie was once upon a time a good idea. But much like Frankenstein's monster, it is no longer. And that is uh, Binge Mary Berry. It's going to be recurring. Hope you like the segment. Yeah, I like it. I think it's a good idea. Uh, I think it'll be a better idea. It'll be more fun for us when it is a month that is not so easy yeah like you know like if we were if we had our, our list of movies and i was like you have to binge mary berry once upon a time parasite, parasite and little women yeah. or something that's harder than this what i just said or the opposite like your only options are uh do little like a boss and call the wild that kind of thing um, but that was our first game, and for our second game, we're going to go back to a recurring, and by recurring, I mean we've done it once before, uh, what Shalila calls our... Trans at Rank Tick. It gets worse and worse every time Trans I say it, and I refuse to change tick. it. No, it's a wonderful name. Trans at Rank Tick. Thank you for so lying to me, So take us away. Here. What do I need to do? All right, so what you're going to do is you're going to attempt to guess in order, or as close to order as you can... The top five movies of the past weekend, both in the UK and in the US, knowing that there is probably a good amount of overlap. Okay, here we go. I feel good about this 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 week, and by that there's I mean, a wild I no card. Idea. I don't know. We'll see. Here we go. Stretching. I'm going to start with the UK, like I did last time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bet that, despite my sadness, Doolittle is still number one. Boom. There's the first thing. Second. I'm going to guess that Invisible Man also released, so we're going to call that number two. Um, Sonic might have released there too, so we're going to call that number three, because that just released for you. I'm going to say Like a Boss is number four, and I'm going to give 1917 number five. Do you want me to? Do you want me to tell you the right answers? Yeah, give me the give me the British results first. All right, yeah. I'm going to give you the British results. So, Sonic the Freaking Hedgehog is number one. Hell yeah. That yeah. was at least on my list. We I'm stand. feeling good. I'm just happy it's above Doolittle because mm. number two yep. is Doolittle. I knew it. I knew it. Man. Yeah. The Brits need a release. And just like the release that RDJ gave the dragon when he pulled a bagpipe out of its ass. Which, again, to be clear, is a real thing. Uh, so, I'm feeling good. That's number two. Keep them coming. All right. And this is where it goes completely off the predictions. Um, number three, Parasite. 
Oh, boy. We got a super Way late go, release. UK. Yeah, good job, guys. Okay. You started bad, but you're Edge you're out going too little, and we'll feel a lot better now. Beautiful. Number All four, right, nice? Call of the Wild. That was quick. Unexpected. Didn't think that you would care about America's, uh, I don't know, frontier. I didn't either. And <laughs> the last movie, which is kind of amazing, is Emma. Oh, well, actually, that makes sense. I think it takes place in... I mean, if all the countries, this is the this is the place they'd watch it, right? The most. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, 1917 is number six, so you were close. Oh, man. I was doing good. So that's not bad. I at least had like three of the movies on the list. That's, that's pretty good. All right. Here comes my predictions. Are you ready? This is for America, which you think I would know better, but I don't. Here we go. Uh... I'm thinking that Invisible Man is the number one spot. No, wait, 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 wait. That's impossible. You're talking about the last box office, and Invisible Man releases tomorrow. Correct. So strike that from the record. We're going to say Call of the Wild has the number one spot. Right after that is Sonic. Um, Right after that is Fantasy Island, because people love a February horror movie. Right around there, we're going to put Harley Quinn Birds of Prey, according to the movie app. And number five, I'm going to give to Jumanji the next level because it was the fifth one last time. That's, How am I doing? that's fair. You're informed. Okay, you did better, but I will say that this is kind like, they're really weird. I, nobody could have gotten this. Um, so you were on the right track. So Call of the Wild and Sonic switch places. Sonic's number one, Call of the Wild is number two. I'll take that. Okay. So far, so good. Yeah. Then, again, going strong, Birds of Prey number three, which I know you said would be number four, but that's not bad at all. Now, the next two movies are sufficiently surprising. First off, number four is Bad Boys for Life. Still holding on. Wow. Still holding on. Okay. Now, you said they love a good February horror movie. And they do, but it's not Fantasy Island. It is a movie I can honestly say I've never heard of until this moment. Brahms the Boy 2? Okay, so this was on the list of things that we could have talked about, and I just didn't because I'd never heard of it. So I assumed what that is it? it wasn't a thing. I don't know. I saw it on the list and I didn't include it because I assumed no one saw it. Katie Holmes is in it. Our bad, everybody. Yeah, nobody did. Our bad. Katie Holmes probably didn't see this movie. So what's our number five spot? That's it. Brahms the Boy, too. Oh, that's it. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. That was very unexpected. I really didn't... I did not expect that at all. Well done, Brahms the Boys, too. That's... So there's Bad Boys for Life and Brahms the Boys, too. Mm-hmm. Both on the list. There's something to be said for the boys. <laughs> February is for the boys. That's a well-known say. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> that, was, that was deeply enjoyable. Yep. Uh, should we do our streaming plugs and then we should uh, send everybody off? Okay. So for this week's episode, I have something different to plug. What I'm going to plug is the Circle on Netflix. The Circle is a dumb, dumb, dumb reality show that I actually kind of fell for because its gimmick is weird and interesting and the cast is such a bunch of weirdos that you actually kind of get into it. It turns out it's based on a UK show, 
which I was not aware mm-hmm. of. It turns out it was filmed in the UK, mm-hmm. which is very confusing because the opening segments are almost entirely Chicago until you get into the last episodes when they suddenly become New York. And it's very confusing. Um, but the reason I'm plugging this is because I just started Netflix's other new reality show, Love is Blind. And that show is so bad. And it is not bad like how the circle is bad. It's bad because it's just bad. It's dumb. The premise is dumb. I don't understand why anyone is doing what they're doing. And it definitely feels like it's probably scripted to some degree. Versus the circle legitimately felt like they locked a bunch of weirdos inside of a room for like seven days and just said, go wild. Um, Also, I do want to plug one thing on the circle since you are a UX person and a tech person, kind of. There is no conceivable way in hell the voice that to text they're thing actually happens. using a piece of technology, right? No It's way. definitely like a screen There's that someone else is doing typing. something to. Yep. That's what I thought. Because when they were like, you know, so basically the point of the show is they talk to a, a supposedly like a Siri-esque uh, uh, AI, VI kind of system, and they ask it to do things. So they're like, uh, Circle, please show me Joey's photos. And then the TV's like, boom, and it brings up Joey's photos. Except here's the problem. The things they do to that system and that show are so advanced that if it was real, the military would currently be using it and it wouldn't be on a Netflix show. Like, it blows Siri out of the water. Amazon wishes that it could develop a technology as sophisticated as the Circle's AI system. And that was the first time that I knew it is when they wouldn't even say its name, when they'd be like, uh, Circle, choose the third photo. And it's like, Boom, and it just knows what it's asking about. Like, no way. No way in hell. If you use an Echo or Siri, you know how utterly terrible they are at understanding anything. And honestly, that's kind of what makes the show great, is that it's all so ridiculous. So I'm going to plug the circle. So when you said you were plugging the circle on Netflix, I thought you were talking about that Emma Watson, Tom Hanks movie. Have you ever watched that? (laughs) It's awful. No, but that is actually fairly prescient, considering that is about like tech and big data, right? But no, I mean, that's an I awful like movie. I, I, I anti-recommend it. Don't watch it. Um, but yes, The Circle is a classic British show. And honestly, I think the UK version is superior. That's a debate for another time. I actually have a really wholesome plug. Um, so the movie I'm plugging is streaming on Amazon Prime video. It's called Wild Rose. And I think it was deeply and sorely overlooked last year, last calendar year. It is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's really, really wholesome. Um, it's basically this movie that stars Jesse Buckley, who is a great talent that you should look up, um, as this Glaswegian single mother who is released from prison. That's the first scene of the movie. And her dream is to be a country music star. And it's a beautiful and very sad and very well-told tale of this woman who wants to just go out there and live her dream but has made mistakes and is a single mother and has life literally dragging her by the ankle but also wants to soar on the strength of her dreams and has julie walters doing the best scottish accent i've seen somebody who isn't scottish based on my limited knowledge of good scottish accents do um it's definitely got the, the the gritty feel of an independent film. It really is. Um, she's a very complicated character. Jesse Buckley is perfect. I cannot imagine anybody else playing this role. Um, she's a star and she carries this whole thing. It's a beautiful movie. 
And I'm going to tell a little anecdote that I think is interesting enough that it'll make you watch the movie. So at the end of the movie, she performs this song called Glasgow in parentheses, No Place Like Home. It's a beautiful song, first off. Really sad that it was snubbed for Best Original Song at the Oscars. Not just because it's a great song, but because of this story. So when they were making this movie, they were looking for this song to tie the movie together. It was really important that it be a very specific song. It is going to be so central to the movie. It has to fit the vibe. It has to be believable as the big song that propels her. It has to. It really just needed to exist for this story to happen. It couldn't happen with a subpar song. So they needed a good original song. Now, famous actor Ted Danson of The Good Place, but a lot more. Um, he's married to Mary Steenburgen. She's great. Um, she's not a songwriter, though. So she had arm surgery, like this minor surgery a couple years ago, and when she was weaning off the anesthetic, it basically, something vaguely went wrong. She had kind of a minor stroke, and the way it manifested was kind of synesthesia. So she was basically, her, she describes it as her brain was in music. Like, she could just see and hear music everywhere she went, and she kind of felt like she was going crazy. And she felt like she had to channel it into something. So she worked with Caitlin Smith and Kate York, who are very accomplished country music songwriters, and she wrote this song. So she talked to one of her Scottish friends to understand the perspective, and she really wanted it to not just be a good song that could fit into the movie, but a song that was written around the movie. So it really felt like something a character would sing. And she just wrote this whole song. It is a powerful, beautiful ballad. And, and then she kind of, it kind of went away. She's fine now. Yeah, it's magnificent. You should definitely watch it. Interesting. All right. That was quite the pitch for Wild Rose. Until you just said who was in it, I thought it was Dakota Johnson. So I'm glad you cleared that up. They kind of look similar. Yeah. From the posters, they kind of look like each other. White women. Yeah. All right, everybody. So that was our February, sort of like January, February, it's a bad time for movies grab bag rundown episode. Uh, so thank you for listening, as always. And as Shalila said at the top, we have exciting news that we are now also on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify and Patreon. So yeah, go follow us there, wherever, whatever your preferred uh, podcast platform is. We're on there. You can listen to us. We're great for driving or any other possible situation. That's always what Shalila and I have been good at. Oh, yeah. And if we're not on your preferred platform, let us know and we'll get on there. Yeah, that is actually truly true. The only other one I know of is like Google Store, Google Play, Google something. There's but also Stitcher and a bunch of others. Stitcher, that is true. Uh, well, in the meantime, where can people find you, Shalila? I am always locatable on Twitter.com at the handle OKShalila. That's just the letters OK and my name, Shalila. And what about you, Eric? Uh, I'm also on Twitter at MoreEricMorales. Uh, M-O-R, nope, M-O-R-E-R-I-C, M-O-R-A-L-E-S, it even confuses me, uh, and that is where you can find the links to all my other stuff, uh, where I write reviews and all kinds of good stuff. I'm going to plug Eric's reviews, they are fantastic, take the time out to read them, and maybe if you like them, give him a subscribe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. My latest one was on Portrait of Lady on Fire, at my current rate of production, uh, my next one will be uh, whatever comes out in November. So hopefully I can step up production. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. So make sure to check back next time, uh, where we will be doing a deep dive into Pixar in preparation for their new original film opening on March 6th onward. Uh, and we will 
I talk to you then. Thanks for tuning in. Have a good night, everybody. Bye.